All right, you would take your Bible this evening and turn once again to Matthew chapter 27. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 27, and I'm going to start at verse 55 and read down through chapter 28 and verse 10. So Matthew 27, beginning at verse 55. And many of the women were there, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children, that would be Salome. When the evening was come, there was a rich man of Arimathea, named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you in the Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet, and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that to go into Galilee, and there shall they see. Well, later, Lord, as blessings to his word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you, Father, for our Savior. We thank you for the power of God that was demonstrated at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise and assurance that we can have of the same resurrection. We raised and glorified by like unto his own glorious body. Because he lives, we too shall live. So Lord, we pray tonight, look in the word of God again, and let's consider this subject. I pray that you would encourage us and challenge us and strengthen us in our walk with you. And Lord, if there are any here tonight, again, that have, do not have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that the Spirit of God would bring conviction, help them see their need of him, and repent, and call on the Lord to save we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
you know, often we look at the death, I mentioned this morning, the death of Christ and the cross as a loss or defeat. But without death, would it be resurrection? But the crucifixion of Christ reveals to us some things that we might not otherwise see. You know, there were things that happened at the crucifixion that demonstrate the power of God at work in the world, which he created, even, even through unsaved wicked men. So tonight I'm going to look at or consider the miracles of the cross. The miracles of the cross. And I have three main points. The ministry of diverse people. Secondly, the mistrust of the devilish. And thirdly, the miracles detonate. You know, detonate means to start just start exploding. Anyway, as we consider this tonight, the miracles at the cross, first of all, they see the ministry of diverse people. In verses 55 through 61, we have this described for us, and I want to look at two things in particular, and that is, first of all, the women that followed him. And verse 55 says, And many women were there, beholding him afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's children. Now, in this again in verse 61, says, And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulchre. This is when they were getting, the, getting him ready for burial and burying him. And then again in chapter 28, verse 1, you have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Now, you know, there, were, there, was, there wasn't just Mary Magdalene that came, if you read all four Gospels, it wasn't just Mary Magdalene that came to the sepulchre. And it wasn't just Mary Magdalene that ministered unto him throughout his ministry, but you find her name mentioned probably more than the others. And Luke chapter 8 verse 2 tells us a little bit about who this lady was. Luke 8 verses 2 and 3 says, And a certain woman which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven days. And of course, in Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, she was another that's mentioned in one of the other Gospels, Susanna, and many others which ministered over him of their substance. So, you know, you have these women of whom Mary Magdalene was one. She had been one who had been, been troubled by demons, demon-possessed, and, 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 and Jesus had healed her or, or cast out the demons, and she ministered, the Bible says she ministered unto him. She followed him. Here we, we see in verse 55, it says, they followed Jesus from Galilee. And, you know, we don't know a whole lot about Mary Magdalene, other than the fact, you know, she's called Magdalene. We believe that's like Jesus of Nazareth, meaning that she was from Magdala, which was an area around, uh, 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 in Galilee, close to, uh, Caesarea, I believe it was. But anyway, it says she followed him from Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. So she was one of those women, among others, and though there was there was Mary, the mother of there seems like there was a multitude of Marys in the New Testament here, but there was there was Mary, the mother of, of uh James and Joseph, and then the mother of Zebedee's children, that'd be the mother of James and John, the disciples, and of course uh 
and there were others, but they, these women uh, ministered unto the needs of Jesus and his disciples during their earthly ministry. That means they, they, they aided him. They provided uh, uh, things that he needed to live. You know, he, 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 was, he traveled throughout the land of Israel, and he, really, he didn't have a house to live in. You know, he said foxes have uh, 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 holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So these women provided him with, with places to rest, uh, provisions of food, provisions of money to buy whatever that was needed in their ministry, which they would have had. Um, but these, these people, and it seems that she was of some means. Uh, Mary, the mother of Zebedee's children, we know, had some means. You know, when the Bible tells us that when James and John left their father, uh, they left and followed Jesus, they left him with the servants. Now, and for a person to have servants, you had some means in Bible times. So he had a business. Of course, he was a fisherman. Uh, but, you know, evidently he had some means. And it was believed that they also, it was their upper room that Jesus and the disciples met in to, to, to eat that last Passover. Again, t- uh, signifying to us, or meaning, you know, of course, that was a large room, uh, meaning that they had a house that was rather large. And John, we know from the trial of Jesus, was known by the high priests. So these were some people of the means. But all these ministered, these women ministered to the needs of Jesus during his earthly ministry. And again, but seemingly mentioned more than others is Mary Magdalene. Almost all, or all of four of the gospel writers mention her by name. They don't all mention all the others. In fact, in one of them, only Mary Magdalene is mentioned at the tomb. She was a very devoted and youthful, useful servant of the Lord. She was at the trial of Jesus. She was present during the crucifixion. John chapter 20 tells us she was there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other Mary. She accompanied Jesus' mother as he is hung on the cross, bleeding and dying for the sin of mankind. She was there when they buried him and was, when a, was of the first to come to the grave on that resurrection morning and the last to leave, but the first to see him. See, she was very devoted to her Lord. And she was the first to see him after his resurrection. And the one that was given the privilege to take the message to his disciples and say, he will come into Galilee and there will you see him. Go tell my brethren. See, she loved much and she was rewarded much. But she was simply a woman out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons. Secondly, you see two wealthy men. Now this seems kind of strange to me. But in verse 57, it says, when even was come, in fact, let's go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And verse 38. It says, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, just as John 19, verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he sought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. 
And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wind it in linen clothes, with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never yet, never, met, never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So you have two wealthy men, Joseph of Arimathea, which the Bible tells us in Matthew, I think it's in Matthew, that he was, he was rich. He was a rich man. There's not very many bi- people that the Bible says are rich, but it says he was a rich man. One commentator said this, quote, Both these men, Joseph and Nicodemus, were high-ranking Jewish leaders who had become disciples of the Lord. Following the death of Jesus, they wanted to provide the best burial they could. Joseph ex- provided an expensively new hewn to- tomb in his private garden. Nicodemus provided spices, myrrh and olives, not the typical Jewish spices for burial. The cost of the tomb can only be guessed, but very expensive, and the spices are estimated in our time to be worth. Are you ready? One hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. Both had great wealth, and they also had great admiration their master, unquote. So here are these two wealthy men, and they appear on the scene and ask for the body of Jesus to bury it. Before the body can be buried, it has to be prepared. They prepared it. You know, one commentator said this, that one of the customs of the Jews in preparing a body for burial is the requirement to re- remove all foreign matter from the body, and carefully wash it. Now remember, Jesus had a crown of thorns smashed down onto his head. He was beaten with cat nine tails, whips, by the Romans, uh, had his beard plucked out. So they would have examined his entire body, found him broken pieces of thorn probably over his head. They saw his bloody matted hair, the terrible bruising of his face, the areas of beard pulled out, the dry and cracked lips. They turned the body over to see the shoulders and arms with, riddled with splinters. Each one was removed with care. The back from the shoulders down was bloody, open wound from the terrible scourging suffered before the crucifixion. His hands and feet were smashed and bloodied on the front, just beneath the ribcage, was a gaping wound made from the spear that was thrust into his side at his death. Worst of all, were the eyes that did not open and the voice that did not speak. We can only imagine what deep, lifelong impressions this left upon both men and how the rest of their life the smell of those particular spices would bring back every mental detail. As these two men did this, men who were experts in the law, after all, they were Pharisees, they must have known that they were filling prophecy. For the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verse 9, that he would be with the rich in his death. And here the body of Jesus was at the hands of two rich men who customarily would have had servants do such humble work. Yet they knew they had to do themselves. This was strange work for these two men to do, yet it was also strange that Jesus, in the plan of God, 
passively submitted to it. After all, Jesus accomplished all things. He yielded his life. He could have sprung from the cross like a superhero. But he didn't. In the plan of God, he hung lifeless on the cross for some period of time, long enough for Joseph to gain an audience with Pilate and receive permission to take the body. He hung on that cross until his body was laboriously removed and hurriedly buried according to Jewish custom. Now what is the point? You have these, you know, a demon-possessed woman, and you have these women, then you have these rich men. What's the point of this? Just diverse people. You know, they, though they came from different backgrounds, had different personalities, different abilities, they were all devoted to the Lord. They were willing to give of themselves, of what they had to the Lord. They were no longer afraid or embarrassed to be identified with Him. Think of the, the cost to Joseph and Nicodemus to come out publicly and ask for the body of Jesus and bury Him after all, the Pharisees had said, if any would confess him openly, they'd be put out of the synagogue. John 9.22 and John 12.42 tells us that. You remember it was Nicodemus in John chapter 7 verse 50 when they were having, the Pharisees were having a discussion about Jesus and, and arguing about who he is and, and saying these people, are these foolish people that believe on him. And Nicodemus said, can, can you condemn a man without hearing him first? And he said, look and see. Did any prophet come out of Galilee? And everybody went to his own home. But here is Nicodemus by his actions saying, I will no longer hide my faith in him. I will confess him openly, along with Joseph and the women. You know, they would do what they could. They used whatever the Lord had given them for His glory and for the furtherance of the gospel. You know, the Bible really doesn't give us any info as to what these people did after the resurrection. But, you know, from the examples we have in Scripture, I believe they were at that prayer meeting in the upper room where there was 120 of Jesus' disciples. We know there was women there because the Bible says there was. They had counted the cost. They had declared their faith in Him openly. And they would be counted with the disciples and the Lord's church. You know, that is a testimony of Christians that we find in the Bible. Baptized and added to the church. So we see the ministry of diverse people. Secondly, we see the mistrust of the devilish here in verses 62 through 66. The Bible says this. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting the watch. Now, I have a few questions to this. Why they're concerned. Did they not see him give up the ghost and die? 
Did they not see his side pierced with that sword of that Roman soldier? Was he not officially pronounced dead by Pilate? But you see, evil and wicked men are always plagued by guilt and mistrust. You've probably heard this phrase. There's no honor among thieves. In other words, there's no trust. There's no trust. And I can imagine their, their guilt-ridden minds starting to say, what if? What if our fraud is exposed? What if our illegal, the way we conducted this trial and the, and, and the whole thing being illegal, what if it's all found out? And oh yes, they also watched him on the cross and they watched him die. And they had to think, never a man suffered like this man. Never a man died like this man. Never had they seen such compassion of one who suffers. You On the cross, they heard him say to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And to John, he said, Behold thy mother. Now we wouldn't maybe say it like that in today's culture. What Jesus was saying was, John, you see to it that thy mother is taken care of. They heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To the thief who confessed his just and deserving death and said, Lord, remember me when I come into thy kingdom. You know, this thief confessed him as Lord and declared him to be the king of the kingdom of God and, and worthy of worship and unjustly condemned, to him he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today! Today is the day of your salvation. Today! After all, I am the king in my kingdom, and today is the day of your salvation. Never had they heard a crucified victim cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So, they are worried. With good reason. Wringing their hands and saying, what if, what if what he said happens and he rises the third day? You know, those who are guilty before God are always under the guilt of sin. I fear that many times they just don't understand what it is. So they're trying to cover it up or suppress it or drive it away. You know, Proverbs 28.1 said, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Romans 1.18 says, They hold the truth in unrighteousness. And the idea is there, they, they, they press it down. They try, to, you know, they try to put it out of their minds and out of their life and they try to get rid of this 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 the truth of God and the reality that there is a God, the conscience bothering them that they are living in sin and wickedness before a God. And so they try to press it down with unrighteousness. In other words, more wicked deeds and rebellion against God. 
Isn't it not true that the more Jesus exposed them to the truth, the more nasty they got? The more wicked they got against him? Many today, and forever, and all of time, have tried to drown out their guilt with drugs, alcohol, licentious living, lawlessness, or, as many today, a constant noise of the world, which they call music. Just don't want to think about it. They just can't stand silence. The Bible says, be still. can't stand silence because they lack the peace of God. Some lose themselves in their work so as to not to think about it. Preached a funeral for people one time and went to see the man afterwards. He was this uh, son-in-law, I guess. And he said, I just, I just try not to think about it. He knows he's going to die sometimes. But just put it out of my mind. Just try not to think about it. You know, that isn't going to get rid of it. It's always going to be there. Worried about what others know or what God knows. And this is what we find here with these men. They were worried about what others would know and what God knows about them. You know, Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. I remember one of the presidential candidates in 2016 saying, quote, I'm not afraid. I don't have any skeletons in my closet, unquote. But you know, these Pharisees had a lot of skeletons in their closets. And so they're going to try and cover it up with adding sin to sin. You see, peace in the heart comes with the right relationship with the Lord not you being in control of your circumstances. These Pharisees and religious leaders were so busy trying to control the circumstances in their world. But the ironic thing is, again, as I mentioned Thursday, you can go think it was, the ironic thing is they were fulfilling the Word of God by their Go to Psalms chapter 22 for just a minute. Psalms chapter 22. And these were the men of the day, the learned men of the day, the religious leaders of the day, that were supposed to know the Scriptures. And yet what they were doing in rebellion against God was fulfilling the very Scriptures which they said they held to. And yet they were in opposition to those Scriptures. Psalm 22 verse one says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Drop down to verse 7. Of course, we, Jesus, that's a quotation. Jesus said that on the cross. Verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, 
he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him now, seeing he delighted in him. That's exactly what the Pharisees said to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. He trusted the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. If he will have him. But thou, verse 9, but thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me about. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. You know, they sat down, the Bible says they sat down and they watched. Gaping upon like gazing upon them. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. That's what a crucifixion does to you. It pulls your bones out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me unto the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. All those things happened at the crucifixion. Psalm 34 and verse 20 says, He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. You see, what they did with the other two, other two uh, uh, the thieves they crucified with Jesus, to hurry their death because it was the preparation of the Sabbath day, they didn't want them hanging on the cross, Jesus didn't want them hanging on the cross over the Sabbath day, so to hurry their death, they break their legs so that they could not push up anymore and get a breath. So they would be hanging there, not able to push up and get a breath, and they would suffocate to death very quickly. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So not a bone in him was broken. Psalm 76.10 Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shall thou restrain. So you have the mistrust of the devilish. Then thirdly, the miracles that detonate. And of course we see them everywhere. Uh, chapter 28 verses 1-10 says and the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat upon it. So we, we see there's another, another earthquake. Now, this is the second one. Uh, in chapter 27, verse 51 through 53, we see the first one. It says, Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were open, which and many bodies of the saints were slept the road. So there was an earthquake when Jesus uh, uh, cried, it is finished, and gave up the ghost. And, and of course, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And then the earth did quake, the Bible says. So this is the second earthquake, uh, along with, and, and, and you know, this earthquake, there's, there's this, uh, follows is uh, this resurrection of saints. And these are resurrected with Christ, or along with Christ, uh, bodies of the saints. In verses 51 and 52 of chapter 27 tells us that. 
verse 53 says they came out of the graves after his resurrection. So they didn't come out of the grave when the earthquake happened, when he gave up the ghost. They actually came out when he resurrected. And, and so there's this earthquake and this resurrection of saints. Now, who are these saints? We don't really know. The Bible doesn't say who they are. It just says they were saints. What we do know is they are considered the first fruits. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you know, I believe they are some of the Old Testament saints, or maybe all of them, I'm not sure. But again, the Bible doesn't clearly tell us. Uh, there are some things that we don't have to know. Doesn't make any difference whether we know it or not. There was saints that were resurrected. That's the point. In verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So everyone that trusts Christ shall be made alive or will be resurrected. And then it says, But every man in his own order. So there's an order to the resurrection, and there are three parts. Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming, that will be the rapture and the resurrection of the New Testament saints, and then cometh the end, that will be the tribulation saints. So what we see here in Matthew chapter 2 uh, is, the, is the resurrection of this earthquake and the resurrection of the first fruits, Christ and these Old Testament saints. This is what we believe they, they, that we are. Uh, and, you know, this compares to the weeks of harvest in the Old Testament. There's the first ripe grain, speaks of those who resurrected with Christ. There's the main harvest, those that are Christ that is coming, which will, which will be is described for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And, you know, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord to meet the Lord in the air. And then there's what they call the gleanings, or cometh the end, or the end ones, and those will be the tribulation saints. In Revelation 20, verse 4, it refers to the resurrection of the souls of those that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and those are the tribulation saints. Because that's going to be the method of execution during the tribulation. Beheading, according to the Scripture. And so there's this, this resurrection that takes place. There's an earthquake and a resurrection. Graves were open and people come out of their graves. And, and the Bible tells us that some went into the city and were seen of men. What happened to them? Well, I believe that they were taken to heaven with the Lord. Ephesians 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Ephesians 4, 7 and 8 says that he... Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Uh, you know, these Old Testament saints, in fact, go over to Hebrews chapter 10. I want, I want to, I want to uh, see something. I want you to see something here. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. I looked at this a little bit this morning. But Hebrews 10 verse 1 says this, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never, with those sacrifices, I want you to notice that, can never, with those sacrifices, which they offer year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. So what the, what the writer here, Hebrews, is saying is, look, those sacrifices in the Old Testament did not make the Old Testament saints perfect. Or, you might say it this way, did not complete their salvation. 
No worries. Well, let, let me, let's go a little farther. Verse 4, before I make another comment. Verse 4, for it is not possible the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. What did John say about Jesus when he saw him walking by? And he said what? Behold the Lamb of God, which what? Taketh away the sins of the world. See, the bulls and goats couldn't take away sins. It was Their sins were remembered every year. Therefore, those Old Testament saints could not go to heaven because the way had not yet been made perfect. Not until Jesus came. Not until the perfect Lamb of God was offered to take away the sins of the world. Could those Old Testament saints go to be with the Lord? In fact, we know from Luke chapter 16 that paradise, the Old Testament paradise, is in the heart of the earth beside hell. There was a great gulf fixed between hell and paradise, or what was called Abraham's bosom, and evidently they could see each other. Because the rich man was talking to Abraham and begging him to send somebody from, from Abraham's bosom to his brothers. See, they couldn't enter heaven. They couldn't enter the presence of God because the way had not yet been made perfect or complete. Not until Jesus died. And when Jesus died, he went to that place and he took those that were captive in that Abraham's bosom and he delivered them from there and he took them to heaven. What's the Bible tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? That now to be absent in the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. See, no one could go to be with the Lord, enter the presence of God, until Jesus perfected us by his perfect sinless sacrifice. Until then, those who died before Christ's death and resurrection were in Abraham's bosom until that death and resurrection of Christ. Secondly, we see an angel appears and moves a stone. And again, you know, these are miraculous events. Verses 2 and 3 says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. Now, we know from the just a few verses before this that they had made this sepulcher sure. They had sealed the stone. Now, we would, we would say, in our vernacular today, you cement that thing shut. So it can't be moved. So it can't be opened. And that's what they wanted. They didn't want it possible to open that grave. You know, the stone was of such size anyway. You know, the, the women, when they, when they were on their way to the tomb, they said, um, who's going to roll away the stone? Roll away the stone. Well, the Lord sent his angel. And an earthquake, even an earthquake would crack it loose. And an angel of the Lord could move it. You know, what had been made impossible by man was made possible by an act of Almighty God. You know, God expects us to use natural means when natural means are available. 
but he has provided exceptions when there are impossible circumstances when God will then demonstrate his power through miraculous means. We see this in the Bible. When Israel was encamped by the Red Sea and trapped, God divided the Red Sea. When they're encamped before the Jordan River, that's overflowing its banks, that's during flood season. You might say, well, why would they try to attempt going across the Jordan River while flood season? <laughs> so God could demonstrate his power. He just stopped the water. He fed them with manna for 40 years in the wilderness. Because there was no food in the wilderness. It was necessary. But the minute they crossed and got into the land, there was food. Natural means was provided, and the manna ceased. You know, a natural way to provide for us is work. Provide for ourselves. Is to work, to earn. A living. And so we see here the angel appears and he moves the stone. He does that which is impossible in the sign of man. Of course, the angel also announced that he has risen, verses 5 through 9. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen of the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, as I have told you. Then we see another thing. The anticipation of a new relationship. If you notice in verse 10, it says, Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. In verses 17 and 18, John gives a little fuller description of this. Of course, Mary is lingering. Mary Magdalene's lingering at the tomb, uh, looking for him and weeping. And he appears to her in verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith to him, Verbona, I wish to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go tell to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. You see, this is, a, this is a new terminology to describe the relationship now that the Lord has with his disciples. You know, when Jesus was talking to the disciples in John chapter 13, he, he called them friends. He said, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I say. And this is the first time in the Bible that he refers to them as brethren. Brethren. You see, the the resurrection of Christ secures our relationship in the family of God. It solidifies it, you might say. You see, the death and resurrection perfects, it completes the payment, the redemption price for our salvation. It is finished. We are perfected forever. Hebrews 10, 14 says. And now, 
John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, My little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He calls him, he's our Father. And he is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, Behold what man of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. You remember he told that thief, Today, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it is today that we are the sons of God. Not when we get to heaven with him. Not sometime in the future. It's today. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. You see, this was the relationship. The family relationship. That was anticipated that could not be really realized until Christ gave himself and resurrected from the dead to complete our redemption. The only thing that's left to be done, in fact, you know, you know what, you remember what Ephesians 2 says? It says we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ. So in the mind of God, we're already with the Lord. It's just a matter of when he says, okay, come up hither. That's all that's left. That's all that's left. We're already his children. It's just a matter of when he says, all right, time's been going on long enough. One of these days, he will call us home. Do you know him as your Lord and as your Savior? Do you have that relationship 